Welcome to a new episode of A Fire Inside Out. I am your host, Ben Hansen, joined as always by the great Jeff Cork. Hello. And we're also joined by a third member of the Fire Inside Out podcast, the first guest we've ever had. Yeah, a pretty good one. A damn good one. <laughs> I promised everybody we'd get an AFI band member on this podcast, and by God, we've done it. Yep. We're joined by the great Hunter Bergen over Skype. Hello. Hey, man. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm not sure how it happened exactly. Um, I'm not sure either. I mean, let me think about it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've listened to a couple episodes of the podcast and, uh, I think I was on a, I was on an airplane a couple weeks ago and I just downloaded a bunch of things to listen to and kind of just went as deep as I could go with what I had downloaded. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, it was almost frustrating. I wanted to sort of get into the conversation with you guys. Cause I realized I had a lot of the, answers you were looking for <laughs> you seem to be like the man with the answers we're just idiots sitting here blabbing our mouths so i'm glad that there's somebody on the other end who's just screaming trapped in a metal tube in the sky <laughs> wanting to get back so i mean we're not going to quiz you on previous episodes of this podcast but were there big things that stood out to you that you did want to clarify from previous episodes no, i mean nothing nothing was big it was mostly just little details and it's it, I, I, it was mostly humorous like um for a, a given situation you guys would sort of um speculate like i wonder if if it was you know by this specific thing that the band did this you know i, I know uh-huh. i'm giving no example <laughs> no this is real juicy stuff this is perfect <laughs> uh, um but you know it's just like ah uh, it's hard to say like i wish i had i wish i had one example that's to fine give you is it just like a classic <laughs> example of people just reading too much into stuff and you just want to be like no it's simpler than that there's no there's no grandmaster plan yeah, it's a lot of that, and it's a lot of um, I don't know, just little little things. Was it actually like? Things. Was it like? Actually, that song was not bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got um, that part wrong. No, and you know, like th- that type of thing is totally subjective. Like, if you don't like a song, that's fine. You know, I mean, I you know, I can't say that I love all of our songs. So, um, but it's it's more of like uh, I wonder why they chose this thing or. You know, just little, little, okay. little tidbits. All right, we don't need to <laughs> drill you too yeah, much for that. I know, but no. I mean, really... if there was, if there happens, to, if, if if for some reason you think of something that you are after all the podcasts that you've done that you're just dying to ask, that's based on you know some sort of a uh, speculation. I might be able to shed some light on it. It's amazing. We appreciate your time so much, <laughs> man. It's so it was mind numbing when I saw that DM from you that said you listened to a couple episodes. Like, I had to tell all my friends that listened to AFI, like, holy sh**. Ben and I actually embraced, and we're, we typically have, like, a three feet apart rule. So <laughs> it was a big moment for us. Yeah, it was monumental. Yeah, it was a really cool process, like, personally, not having listened to your band and just kind of, like, seeing the early stuff. And, like, because uh, Hanson, you know, Ben had kind of t- said, like, oh, man, they, they go through some changes. And just to kind of, like, go... Okay, this part I'm not so in love with, but I have to say, like, the like Crash Love, and I'm just started listening to Burials. You guys have, like, done a fantastic job of aligning yourselves perfectly with, like, what I'm into. <laughs> so thank you cool. for that. I appreciate that. And I've been listening to some of your, uh, like, side project stuff, too, and I think that I uh, I just like your output. So, so keep up with well, the outputting. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, – I, I love the idea of having – somebody come in and like who just doesn't know the music and i don't know like that perspective is really really interesting to me 
because it's obviously it's impossible for me to to like have that type of perspective on things. Yeah. But also, most of the, most of the people that I know who you know even even my friends who like you know have tuned in and out of the band at different points like all sort of have some type of bias based on one thing or another you know or like or one one time period like nostalgia sort of keeps them rooted in one thing or another so so yeah so this is kind of fascinating for me to to hear your input <laughs> we should start out talking about like what you've been up to man what what are you doing these days oh man i get that question all the time i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> mostly when mostly when i look in the mirror <laughs> um what if, uh you know it's it's tough i um I'm trying to sort of keep my schedule relatively open so that more AFI stuff can take place without it being a scheduling conflict. Okay. Um, and so uh, I'm not really doing anything major, but I'm doing a lot of minor stuff. Huh. Okay, so things <laughs> are kind of sense. ramping up in the AFI world again, and so you're kind of trying to be mindful well, of that? yeah. I mean, if um, if the sort of the clock that you use to determine when it's afi time again is based on like you know other side projects then i'm i'm under the impression that we're getting closer mm-hmm. okay do you have like an afi pole in your house that the bell rings <laughs> and you slide down it's like um it's more of like one of those uh those thermometers that that people um draw on a poster for like a, <laughs> a, a fundraiser yeah right, right. <laughs> I feel like we're getting closer. We're getting more of it filled up. We're going we're gonna to hit our goal with your help, people. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, what does that look like? Does that just come down to text between the band members? Like, hey, should we get back together? Should we start brewing something up? I mean, it's it's uh, oh, it's it's different every time, and it just sort of depends. Everyone kind of needs to be on the same page. Uh, we've never we've never come into it in a forced way, you mm-hmm. know. So it's not like. There's, it's never going to be like, hey, will you convince so-and-so to get on board? It's just like there's there's a moment where we're all feeling it, and that's the moment we move forward. Right. Okay. Um, and usually it's at the first opportunity. Um, you know, we take a little time for ourselves, and sometimes that includes other projects. But um, but ultimately, it's it's about – we usually get moving about, you know, the next thing that happens. Um, and the, the public's perception is that it, it's taking us even longer because the first step in – in doing what we do is to write music and Mm -hmm. you know that takes time and it's not a very um it's not a very public thing right the studio becomes a little more public you know oh we're going in the studio with with so and so and doing this and then you know but from that point forward we're engaging more with the public and sort of giving people an idea of our timeline and once you do that you have to sort of stick to it and move you know forward as quickly as you can so um I should preface this by saying, like, we are naive people from the Midwest, so <laughs> be gentle. But this is like, I, I think, when I think of a band that I like, I, I don't think that it's to the extent of, say, like, the monkeys where everyone is living in the same house and going on, like, wacky adventures together. <laughs> no, but, but I, like, how much, like how, how much are you in contact with other members of, of the band when you're not Okay, first touring? I need to say that it, at one point it was like the monkeys. Really? We're all living in the same house. <laughs> Like for real, we were all living in one house and, um, and I, I believe I was the first to move out Uh in 2001. Was this for creative reasons or for financial reasons that you guys were all living together? 
it was um it was i guess it was more financial but it certainly was um was helpful on the creative front um i mean i i moved into the house um at the time that i moved in uh the other three members which was um included mark at the time sure lived in the house and i moved there just sort of accidentally i was staying in dave's room while we were working on um uh god what were we working on we were yeah i guess wait maybe mark didn't live there at that time maybe mark had already moved out (laughs) (laughs) sorry i have to remember this Um, no no i'm sorry i stand corrected mark had already moved out and nick 13 was living in his old room Wow, and I was staying in Dave's room while we were working on Black Sales, and during that process, the landlord came into the room and told me that there was a, a room available upstairs if I wanted it, and so I, I wasn't considering moving there, but I was like, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> sure." God, do you have pictures of that house? Like, is there footage? Like, it seems like a crazy den of creativity during that time. There. Um, I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple photos of it more recently because it's a full-on frat house now. Oh, weird. Um, yeah, and at the time it was a um, it was a former frat house. <laughs> I guess at some point, maybe in the '80s or whatever, it had been a frat house, and they and the the frat lost their charter for some sort of controversial thing, and so it just became sort of a boarding house. And there were um, there were some students in it, but it was just also um, just kind of weirdos that wanted to live really <laughs> close to campus for some reason people with the last name 13 <laughs> yeah and it's and it was and it was cheap it was it was um you know i, I paid like 400 bucks for my room awesome i think like and, um, afi fans like to imagine that house where it's like davy singing in the shower and adam banging on the bathroom door like getting the beat going and then everyone's like yeah snapping their fingers <laughs> writing stuff down as fast as they can i mean there were definitely moments like that i mean I remember meeting like Dave and, and Jade would would go into Jade's room all the time to write, which w- used to be Adam's room like years before, uh-huh. <laughs> and he moved out and then moved back into a much smaller room, um, and then and then ultimately moved up into a, a cooler room, but uh, but yeah, I mean we we would it, it, there definitely were moments like that that are very like what you would imagine very romanticized sure. um, version of the creativity. But ultimately, the house was really kind of gross and dirty, and and, uh, <laughs> and more of my memories are based on like um, just the piles of of like garbage in the bathroom and like the the bathtubs being um, like backed up with with like gl- gross water. <laughs> and, yeah, it was. I don't know. Whatever. It was. It was cheap. Um, sure. I moved out at at some point, and I know this is like probably the least interesting, or at least um, in my mind, the least interesting part of like a, what a band related conversation. No, would be, I but... love this. Getting to the price of rent, I love it, man. It's as nitty gritty as you can get. At, at some point, uh, the the house. Uh, I might be wrong about this, but it's close enough. the The house, the the frat got their charter back, and they, but they couldn't kick everyone out of the house, so they. Um, Anytime somebody would leave the house, you know, would move out, mm-hmm. they would move in two frat guys oh, to no. replace them. Um, and they were all really nice guys. Yeah. Um, never a problem. 
um, but they but they were definitely the owners were definitely trying to push everyone out. And eventually, I think they they offered money. Um, at this point, though, I was I was over it, and um, and I just abandoned the place. <laughs> but needless to say, <laughs> I, you aren't you aren't living with the band members these days. So no, and then you know, like then it was uh, at you know at some point everyone moved out, and um, and we all sort of spread out a little bit, and then even as the years went on, spread out more and more. And then I moved to, to LA in like 2005 and Jade was right there with me. Um, and so it, it definitely, it, you know, it, it did start out like a, like a monkeys type scenario. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I guess as we sort of became adults in our own way, we, we realized like, Hey, we can have our own lives and our, do our own thing. So, yeah. So do you guys, um, are you guys going out to dinner every once in a while? Like what's going on these days for you guys? Um, I can't speak for anyone other than myself, but I haven't even seen anyone else in the band since, uh, uh, I run into Dave more than anyone and it, it'll, but I'll run into him at restaurants and, um, at different events in LA and different sure. things. Um, but it's never planned. Um, I feel like I've spent, and, and there's nothing against these guys. I love these guys, but, but we've spent enough time together already to, to never have to plan to, to, to see each other again, <laughs> you know, so have you I, seen... mean, I already, I already know that like a good, you know, a good majority of, of the rest of my life, I'm going to see these guys. So I'm not too worried about having dinner with them. Right. So, right so if you see Davey across the room at a party, you're not avoiding eye contact and going in the other room. You know, but it's uh, but yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really talked to, to, uh, I mean, I emailed with Jade like a little bit ago and I think with Adam as well, or maybe text, I don't know, Dave, okay. you know, it's sometimes a joke. We'll kind of run around and we'll do a group text or something, but you know, um, definitely our, 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 um, our contact sort of wanes a little bit in this, in this like time off yeah it has to be healthy then you get back together and say hey i really yeah. get into this over this period or you have to check out this band that is really great stuff yeah and then i know that you know like cut to some point in the future where we're on tour together and uh you know i'll be getting coffee with dave like every day you know or <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it's it, it definitely goes in waves yeah sure so one of the smaller projects you're working on now is it kind of relaunching your website uh i mean that's one of the things okay um I definitely wanted to have a stronger web presence that, that represented, uh, I don't know, my other things, my things outside of the band a little better. Yeah. Um, and so it's in the kind of the first stage of that now. Um, I'm trying to now do other things outside of the band so that I can put them on the site. Yeah, like um, more books and web comics and stuff yeah, like that? Uh, definitely more books. I finished another book, which uh, which I'm uh, is currently sitting with my my lit agent oh fancy um i know i know <laughs> <laughs> um which is i think um i'm trying to you know reach a, a a bigger audience with my writing and so i feel like that's the best way to go but it's um it's a little bit frustrating because i'm so used to the immediacy of self-publishing right you know you i mean also a lot of things that, i mean i guess like social media and just everything that 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 we do these days is so immediate at the idea of like putting something in someone else's hands and waiting to mm -hmm. see like what happens is really frustrating. But, um, are you able to see what it's about? 
Um, it's a, it's just a follow up to to my first book, Success. Okay. Um, it was meant to be. It was designed to be a pretty quick follow up. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a sequel, if you will. Not that um, I don't know if you can have a, a true sequel in um, sort of nonfiction humor or whatever whatever yeah. genre my book is in. <laughs> um, we first kind of stumbled across your extracurricular activities, if I can call it that. You call it your life, but we'll call it your extracurricular <laughs> yeah, activities sure. by stumbling across like your YouTube channel, the Tranquil okay. Mammoth. And you, there's so many videos from, I don't know, like 2007, 2008. And we went yeah. through all of them, fascinated by them. And just, <laughs> it was just bizarre to think like, what, what creatively is he getting out of these that he's not getting out of the band or the whole music aspect? Did you want that kind of more immediacy and just kind of the raw feedback of people leaving comments right away? No. And you know, like YouTube comments are, are the worst. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're, I mean, I feel like I've been really lucky in that, you know, most of the ones that I have on my videos are either like fairly neutral or positive. Mm-hmm. which is not the case of any other video. <laughs> um, but it wasn't, no, it's not, it's not so much for that. It's just the idea of, um, of creating something. It's the idea of um, just staying creatively productive. So, um, you know, I, I feel like I mentally can put myself into a mode, if you will, and, um, and uh produced a lot of creative things within that mode and so most of those videos were at a time when i was in video mode (laughs) sure um and even there's the like the whole series the abraham drinking series (laughs) right yeah was was um i decided i wanted to try to figure out how to do flash animation oh nice i was in flash okay and of course instead of using flash like people actually do flash instead i just use it oh in a way to um as a way to do sort of like stop frame animation right instead. yeah so which is probably the least effective use of that but <laughs> it's just a guy laying down on a couch you can do it yeah so i mean i would have probably i would have probably um found it easier to use final cut to do what i did yes but but the idea was trying to learn flash right so. right and you have like those 10 second I'll call them 10 second short films, but you they're really pre vine vines is what we would notice where it's like a simple joke, just get in and out. And it's like, it seems like vine is your ideal format hunter. Yeah. And that's, and that, that's funny you say that because I hadn't actually thought of that. But at the time I thought how cool to be to just do like 10 second little like travel videos and just go to places and just make, yeah, just do a one liner <laughs> <laughs> and not even, not even a funny one liner, but just. <laughs> This place is um, the pits. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. That, and for those, I wasn't even using. I was just using like a, a kind of a, a, a shitty point and shoot camera. Right. So, I think you know all, the technology has has grown so much in the time since I've done anything on YouTube that all of my stuff looks horrible. Yeah. Do you even do you link to it on the new website? I don't. Okay. It's it's never to be acknowledged. I, I don't for now until I can put something on there that has some sort of uh, quality, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and make the other ones private then. No, it's good. Yeah. It's a good look at the and past. So, and I do have I, – I, I get ideas for, for videos and things all the time, but it's hard. Like right now I'm in comics mode. 
So if I think of a joke or something, I try to figure out how I can put, how I can make a cat do that thing. Right, because Cat with Matches, you're posting every Monday on the site? Every Monday, yeah. You have a couple of teases on their website, too, where you talked about transferring off of Reel to Reel some old, like, uh, some old music from yourself in high school? Yes. Uh, how's oh, that project man. going? Uh, okay, so it's, it's really frustrating because um, I did not take care of the tapes. Okay. And and it's my fault. I mean, many of the tapes that I used to record my bands back in the day were ones that I found at a thrift store and were already 15, 20 years old at that point. Right. So they were already falling apart or just on the verge of getting a little weird. And then I let them sit in a box in a in a garage for probably another 10 years and then my dad took that box and put it in a in sort of an underground storage space for another uh, I don't know, another 10 years, uh, during which time some mold crept uh. in and actually ate the bottom of this cardboard box. So I thought, well, I'll just give it a shot and see how, if any of these transfer. Um, but the second problem is my tape machine had some mechanical issues and I thought it just wasn't going to work at all. And then I just, um, rather than giving up, I kind of just like started, um, moving some of the parts that should be moving on their own um, manually and got it to work. I, wow. I've had to tape down one thing and I have to, you know, when I hit play, I have to move this other thing into place like immediately. <laughs> and, and I've got it to where I can, I can play a song or two before um, enough of the, the tape has sort of disintegrated onto the playheads. And Jesus I have to take the tape Christ. off and then clean the playheads. So it's it's a bit of a process, and it's really frustrating, of course, because you know I'll be transferring a song, and and the the sound quality will actually be as good. Okay, I have to throw a disclaimer in here. The sound <laughs> quality was never good in the first place. Like, like um, aside from from my ability to to perform these songs, and also with you know my bandmates. Um, and we're using like bad mics, and we're there's we're using bad. Um, sort of sub mixes and uh you know just blowing out limiters and i don't know sure so it never would have sounded great in the first place but now also we have this problem with like you know the tape falling apart and so but it's frustrating to hear it at least as how i remembered it and then during the course of a song hear the sort of crisp high end slowly get more and more muffled oh, man. and just go like uh what do i do like do i do i clean off the heads and try again or you know what you have to do so, you have to get the band back together just re-record all those songs with some high-end oh, recording stuff man uh i've thought about things like that like really well, like well i thought well you know anytime anytime you sort of um or at least for me i feel like anytime i sort of turn and look at the past I sort of see an opportunity for bringing that into the present. Like, well, maybe we could get together and do something with this or, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but some of these, I mean, like one of the bands that I was in in high school was a band with my sister and she was, um, she screamed <laughs> for the band. <laughs> and at some point towards the end of the, of the band's run, she decided she couldn't scream anymore. It just didn't like, that was it. She sort of burnt her voice out. Right. And, you know, and that was 20 years ago. So <laughs> she, so she uh, said 20 she, years to charge up. Is that what you're saying? She, no, no. Okay. She said 20 years, 20 years to, to, um, 
to very like decisively distance herself from that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the only thing I can salvage is the recordings and the recordings are not good. And I mean, even if, even if we had recorded the best recording studio in the world, um, our performances are so crazy and the tones (laughs) that we had are so weird and wild. And there's so many mistakes that, that we just sort of let go because we're in the, in the moment. Right. Right. So, so if and when any of these things do see the light of day, it is going to be just bad anyway. <laughs> people, I mean, people are expecting it. You explained there was yeah. mold and the whole thing and everything's covered. It'd just be a weird novelty to get out there. Yeah. So do the, you, the, oh, do you enjoy looking back at all this stuff? Do you consider yourself a nostalgic guy even to like the earlier AFI days? I, I do. I am, I am t- almost to a fault. I kind of don't like that I'm so nostalgic um, because of the fact that it is like, you know, some of these things aren't that great. The recordings aren't that great. And I have friends and, and know people that are just, um, don't carry anything from the past with them into the future and just sort of march on in such a simple way. And I'm not that guy. Okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, I definitely, I, ha- I have a little more trouble like throwing things away if it's like, you know, Oh, look, here's this old magazine that there's like a review of an AFI album. Man, I should probably keep that <laughs> forever. Let that get some <laughs> mold know? in the basement. That'd be really cool looking. Yeah. Well, it's, know, it's, or it's like, I have two copies of it and I'm like, well, I should probably keep them both. Cause what am I going to do? Throw one away. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's interesting to me to think of, uh, the nostalgia with AFI fans out there too. And there's so many people that are like, oh, I'm nostalgic over the black sales period or I'm nostalgic over the sing the sorrow period. Um, so do you sympathize with those people just because you have so much nostalgia yourself for previous eras of your life? Totally. Your life? Totally. I, I, I mean, I get it. Even though I can see both sides of it being in the band, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, whenever I run into somebody and they, they express to me like, oh, this era is my era for this, for, you know, or you know whatever reason or oh man I, I used to love this song when i was in high school or you know whatever it is i totally get it and i can't i even understand if they don't if they don't want to hear anything they were doing now like i understand that because there are bands that i love that i will still go to see play and i don't, I don't want to name any bands but um but uh but if they start playing some new stuff i'm not really not into it you're the guy in the crowd yelling old sh- and I'm not, you know, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm definitely like way more respectful than that. But, um, but I get it. And then it's, and then, you know, it's like, I don't know. I saw a couple years ago, I saw Neil Diamond. All right. And all he played was old. Shit. Like, <laughs> that's what his career is. And he's doing it with such a smile and he's, he seems to be loving it. And I go, you know what? That's awesome. If he's if he's able to play songs that are that old that he's played probably thousands and thousands and thousands of times, um, and he's still able to do it and love it, that's awesome. So, <laughs> so maybe if I can just look to Neil Diamond and then go on the I don't know Black Sales tour in the year twenty twenty five. Yeah, I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, would you mind diving deep into some specific songs? Is sure. that all right? Um, so let's just wind back the clock. Like, let's just go with like a single second. Uh, okay. Early on in your time with AFI, like, what are your memories of that writing process, that recording process? Tell me everything you have to say about a single second, please. I'm just gonna have to, um, unfortunately, lump that in with the entire album. Yeah, because, that's totally fine. Because that experience was so short, and it was also so long ago that I don't really remember specific song things. Sure. Um, 
the okay so i wasn't officially in the band um but i had been filling in i'd filled in on a tour on, um, on bass and that wrapped up in like june 97 and so around i don't know maybe july or august they asked me if i would record on the album and so i thought oh that's awesome that's yes totally i'll do that sure and um the uh oh okay so there's there's a i don't know if it's a rumor because i've said it before but uh (laughs) i they offered me an amount of money i think maybe they offered me like 500 bucks or maybe 600 bucks to to be the studio bassist for this session and um, this is the 90s, and also I had never done any studio work uh, for a band that I wasn't part of. All so right. I was like, yeah, okay. And and uh, I negotiated up to $666. <laughs> Badass. <laughs> Just because I thought that would be like, oh, this is, that's a clever thing I can bring up later in an interview in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There we go. Um, and also ties in with the Summer Underground release. It's a whole running theme for your career here. Exactly. So um, a couple weeks before the recording, sometime in late August, I I went to I went down to Berkeley and I probably stayed in somebody's room. Actually, no, I I, I believe I stayed in Mark's room in the house. Okay. And he was you know staying at his girlfriend's apartment during that time, and uh, we would rehearse every day in this old rehearsal space that we have, which is, um, which is the room that we're playing in, in the total immortal video. Oh, weird. Okay. It's just a, it was a tiny little room in like a rehearsal place that maybe had just a handful of rooms. Sure. Um, in closer to downtown Oakland. And, um, and it was, you know, no airflow in there. And every day we'd go and, and practice all these songs. And I just remember like based on, the you know the first two albums of AFI that I've been familiar with, like, remember thinking musically this was so different, and just going okay, this is like, we went from like okay, here's a bunch of sort of simple songs with a similar beat, um, you know, with verses and choruses that could be interchangeable from one song to another, <laughs> um, that are all in like a standard minor key. Going from that to like just something that seemed really modal to me. Um, but uh and where do you think was that was into, coming from then it was coming from mark i mean it was like mark had this had an idea he'd been listening to a lot of different stuff like um i don't even know like dead and gone and just kind of different um just different darker stuff and i think he really wanted to make something that wasn't just um i don't know just it wasn't just the next step in a in a slower evolution he wanted to really push it and really make something new and um and so it was very he was very adamant about um about like specific rhythms for different parts of songs like he had a a very specific way that he wanted the the um like that he was strumming things and i mean he was a he was a really great rhythm player so Uh um you know he he wanted the kick and snare to be a certain pattern and the bass had to be right on i mean he was like i'd never had that before like in the other bands i played and it was sort of just like okay you just do what you're gonna do and if it sounds like it locks in then it does <laughs> was were cut davy and uh, adam kind of surprised by this was this how he always was or was this just a real creative lightning bolt for him um 
I don't know t- totally like how how he was creatively before that, like what the dynamic was in the band. But I do understand that Jeff wrote a lot of music and um, and there was probably a balance between between the two of them in terms of what came across musically. And I think maybe this was just Mark getting the full weight of that. But then also, um, I'm also him just really trying to push it forward and do something different musically. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, but I, you know, I like, I felt like I'm being hired to do this specific thing. I need to just figure it out. And I wrote a lot of really cool bass lines and, um, and I thought that also was really cool because, you know, when you're sort of in this kind of modal mode, <laughs> uh, you can kind of get away with anything. You, I could play really interesting parts and strange dissonant notes and things that I wouldn't normally play. And so I thought it was a cool opportunity for me to play some really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, Are there specific moments on the album that you're really proud of? Well, let me get to that part. Okay. Sorry to draw this out any longer no, than no, needs no, to be, but, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't think we rehearsed more than like two weeks maybe. And then we went into the studio or I think maybe I went home and then came back to the studio after, after something at like maybe a couple, maybe they had done some drum tracks or something. I don't remember. Um, but I do know that my, responsibility in the studio was only like two days. Like I only needed to be there for about two days or, um, maybe we're doing drums and bass and there was some scratch guitar. I don't remember, but I just remember thinking like, this is, well, first off, two days was like longer than I had ever spent on bass ever before in my life. (laughs) Um, now looking back, it seems, well, I don't know. I guess I still spend about two days on bass, no matter what. So, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm known as the as the fastest person in the studio. But is just because you don't have... you don't like the recording process, or you're just that efficient? No, no. I love the recording process, but I just feel like I'm I'm usually pretty efficient. I um, usually get what I'm going for on my first or second take, um, and um, and also you know I'm not doubling the bass. Usually I'm not. You know I only have at most I could be playing four strings. That's it. Like, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to change my tone too drastically between songs. So, you know, logically I would be the fastest in the okay. studio. Sure. Even if, even if I went at the same pace, but I'm also faster. So, okay. <laughs> um, no one will argue with you on, or me or anyone on that. Um, uh, so, okay. So then I finished these, the, my, my bass parts up and, and, um, and uh and then I left and the first time that I heard the album was after it had been mixed I think and I was like blown away I was actually really sad <laughs> I remember the first time I heard it because the way that it was mixed and I know that Mark had a lot to do with this was um the, all the fundamental low end tone from the bass was scooped out and the only time that I felt like you could really even hear the bass like doing something uh, is when uh, the music drops out and it's just bass. Right. I mean, I would love to, I would love to go back and remix that album. Huh? Uh, just, I, 
Yeah, because it's I, so many little things that I did. You just are, were just gone, and I don't remember them now because I haven't heard them. And you know, it's it's been as long as it's been. I mean, do you still have, do you still have, like the master tracks or anything for that? Uh, I mean, there's uh, the tapes somewhere. Somebody has the tape. I think maybe Andy Ernst has the tapes. Okay. Um, or yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Nitro. I don't know who who actually has the the like the un mixed tapes it was right. all done to was it done to like adat maybe huh. or something like do you, i don't know do you guys know adat no <laughs> it's um it's sort of like beta really okay like it was sort of a um a alternate format that was really popular for a short period of time i think it was actually done on on like um high quality vhs tapes hmm. but oh, just weird. all digital information Sure. And, um, and it just, I've had to do a couple transfers over the years. Um, and it's just, you have to find it, someone that'll rent you an ADAP machine. It's just a pain in the ass. So, <laughs> so just um, listening to the, like the, that album compared to the first couple, like there was such a night and day difference between the bass parts. Did you get a sense like, and this is not trying to throw anyone under a bus, but was it a sense like, like the first couple of albums, the bass was just out of control and it was really fun and kind of crazy. Like you just, I just felt like it was about ready to go off the rails at any particular <laughs> moment, you know, like, like, and then it got kind of like, it was just kind of an abrupt change. Like, well, I mean, okay. So the, the band before I joined definitely had a, a, a sound that was based on you know every, each member's specific style, and mm-hmm. that was definitely Jeff's style. Was very like upfront, and he, um, you know, he would do these these cool runs at the end of uh, you know sixteen bars or whatever. And um, it was definitely shaped the sound of the band early on. And so, at the point at which I joined the band, or at the point at which I am in the studio now recording this album, I'm not in the band, so mm-hmm. I'm not gonna like. I'm trying to not step on any toes or do anything, you know, that's going to be questionable. Right. Um, you know, I'm coming up with things that I think are cool and creative, but totally ready to change it if need be. Sure. Um, and it was definitely, definitely Mark had a, a specific idea of how he wanted things to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's, you know, ultimately that's how it ended up getting mixed. Um, and so there's not a lot of like the same type of stuff, but, but also I came from playing in the force before that. And so my whole wheelhouse was playing fast and playing, you know, a certain style, which is totally different than Jeff's style. Mm-hmm. Right. So to give just the casual listener who maybe doesn't play, um, or may, I guess, no, I guess maybe you do have to play an instrument to understand what I'm about to say. Um, an idea of the difference between our styles at the time. Um, Jeff played with a, a very thin pick, and he would uh, he would strum all the strings, but only fret whatever note he wanted to play, and mute the re- the rest of the strings with his hand. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sure. So it was very much a sort of a I don't know like more of a guitar strumming a guitar like a rhythm guitar style of bass playing, which is a lot of that sound. Yeah. My my style coming from the force was to play with a much thicker pick and to 
dig in very specifically to on the strings I'm playing. So it it was a much more like um, like a tighter, more articulate sound. Yeah. Um, but I also because I don't know because I was used to playing faster stuff. The way that I would think about um, I don't know like a fill or something at the end of the part is different than what Jeff would think. He was right. thinking more of like a songwriter and a, and um, and come up with these really nice musical runs. And I was thinking more of like a rhythm player where I'm kind of just uh, filling in a, a rhythm with some notes, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Do you still think you have that tight, articulate style or has it changed since then for you? Oh, it's evolved so much. Uh, I, I, uh, I got kind of tired of doing that. Um, it became really difficult to play a lot of the stuff that I would do in the studio as I sort of evolved with that style um, and do all the stuff that I wanted to do on stage. Right. So the, um, I feel like the, the peak in terms of like what I was trying to do in terms of speed and notes would be, um, uh, sacrifice theory. Okay. But at the same time, when we hit the road and started playing that, that was the point where I couldn't do much on stage, like couldn't run around that much and still play it well. Or I would run around and jump around and just play like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which one worked better for the audience reaction? And, 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 you know, like I had, you know, Adam would come up to me after the, he's like, Hey, you know, you're not really playing that well on stage. Like it's not sounding that great. You could maybe <laughs> like calm down at, at, in spots. And, you know, of course at the time I would be like, dude, whatever. I'm, I'm just trying to make it exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get me. <laughs> um, but, but ultimately I would take that into consideration and, and, uh, try to figure out a way to to make that work so that I could do the stuff I want to do on stage but also play in the moments where it needed to be more technical. Right, right. So with that Black Sails period then, is that the most memorable, I don't know, bass work on the album for you or is there another song that really stands out from that era? Uh, I mean, that's, I, I don't know. I think in terms of, in terms of what, it was, okay, in terms of me trying to sort of figure out what my sound with AFI was, it took me a couple records. Really? Definitely Shut Your Mouth was not anything that I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> like sound-wise. Sure, know? sure. Um, and I think the the a Fire Inside EP was getting closer. Then with Black Sails, I, I felt like I was even closer, but it wasn't quite there. And in terms of what I was trying to get sound-wise, I think I finally hit it for the All Hollows EP. Oh, interesting. And it was at that point where I was kind of just like, I don't know, just so disappointed with how my tone would end up on that record that I was like, just sort of gave up in the studio and I thought I'd try something totally weird. And so I had two signals. I had, um, you know, my bass is split into two signals. One went straight into this amp and... I turned off all the highs and made it just lows, a big amp. <laughs> and then the other signal went straight into the board, but it went through a sans amp pedal. And I turned off all the lows and just rolled up the highs on that. Okay. And like a little more of a, um, a little more of a edgy sort of drive to it. And just thought, here's something that's totally weird to just really hard divide these two things. And, um, but then I ended up loving the sound that it, that it created and I've, I haven't tried to do anything that extreme since then. Uh-huh. Obviously, like, um, 
as we were able to record in better and better studios um, with better equipment, it became easier to get a good sound. Um, so I haven't really had to do anything that extreme. But that was the first thing where I was actually happy with how my sound came out. I love that idea of that's a result of you feeling like you're giving up. Like, yeah. oh, well, fuck it. Let's just do something weird and see if anybody notices. I mean, that's I feel like like a lot of times in art and we'll call this art, but you a lot will. of times in art, that's what, you know, when when you sort of just give up and are just do something that's totally weird or off the cuff or creative, it ends up being really cool. Yeah, definitely. So with Black Sails in particular, can you just describe that uh, recording session? What was the studio like? You mentioned that it wasn't that great or at least inferior to what you eventually grew to record in. Uh, so, okay, Black Sails, we tracked at Art of Ears. Okay. So that was the same that same as Show Your Mouth and, um, and also the same studio that I had recorded in uh, for two different sessions with The Force. So at this point, we've all been really good friends with Andy Ernst for, for years. Um, so it was really comfortable. And, um, and we had, we had, I don't know, I think we blocked out more time than in the past to do the record. Just assuming that we were going to be a little more ambitious with it or just, I don't know, just in that, in that way that like you assume that with each record, you're going to get a little bit more money from the label and you're going to take a little bit more time and, and the end result's going to be a little bit better. Sure. So, um, but I remember the first, uh, I remember drums took a lot longer than we thought they would. And it got to the point where I feel like Adam felt, and maybe this was correct. Like we were, um, I don't know, like kind of putting pressure on him to like hey man can you wrap this up like <laughs> we have to do all the other stuff and we're running out of time was he just um, trying to be too ambitious no i mean i think it was just you know as a as a band we were all trying to to improve a little bit on what we were doing and our technique and and everything and um and we didn't realize how long it would take to do that and i don't know we just you know we're we're, we're all taking steps forward and and he's just the person who was first right. in the session. So, um, but I remember there's, Oh God, I'm trying to remember songs, but like, um, one of the songs, is it like at a glance maybe? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like you guys would know because you've heard these <laughs> albums more recently than I have. But, um, one of the songs has a, a long, slow, like outro part. Okay. It like it goes to another part at the end that's just long and slow, and then it just goes with that. It doesn't ever go fast again. Sure. Um, and the idea was that uh, it would have this like kick drum pulsing throughout it, like just do 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 do. So if I have got the wrong song, I know that everybody like you know. All it, the fans are going to be like, right. what? He doesn't even know their own song. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I remember it was really frustrating for him um, because it's, you know, it's the type of thing that like these days somebody is just like with Pro Tools sitting there like, no, it's cool. We got it. We right. Got it. Right. It's fine. We'll loop that part or whatever, you know. Um, but at the time, you know, it's it's like multiple minutes of him thundering away at this kick drum pedal and his legs probably throbbing. Oh, man. Um, so it, it took it, it took a, a couple takes and I know that he was kind of frustrated at that. And then everybody else was starting to like, look at their watches. Like how long have we been in the studio? It's like, how much more time do we have? Um, but, but all in all, I think that was, it was a pretty fun and creative session 
um, you know, we Jade was in the band now, and so we had new energy, and we were trying to do, uh, I don't know, songs that were just different than anything we'd done before. And, you know, we had, like, Clove Smoke um, and God Called and Sick Today, so, like, slower stuff. And I remember I want, like, I took... I think it was clove smoke. I played all finger style. Like I thought, this is crazy. I'm going to play finger style. Like, <laughs> Look at me, guys. Get I'm all, crazy. Get all jazzy. <laughs> <laughs> was and, everybody uh, impressed? A small round of applause for you. What's that? I said, was everybody impressed then? No, no, no one cares. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, it's I'm still the bass player. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about with the song like Transference, which was a bonus song from that era where you're actually singing the chorus on that one, right? Yeah, that's um, that was a song we had. Uh, I think I I wrote that song, and it wasn't going to be on the album. And I had to ask Dexter permission because he, you know, was paying for the session. Nitro was paying for that session. Yeah. If I could have that recording for my uh, compilation. Oh wow! And he was he was totally cool with it. And so, yeah, it was fun. I mean, the whole that whole. Um, that whole process was was fun. And what do you think about the album in retrospect? Do you ever go back and listen to it? Do you have any thoughts on it? And I haven't years listened after? to it as a as a whole. In I don't know. I don't probably. I don't even know. Like ten years, maybe more. Oh wow! Um, occasionally, I'll listen to a song if I need to to like remember something, or if I want to just sort of touch base. It's interesting. The songs that we play live that we continue to play over and over again. Um, will sort of evolve away from the original recording or the original idea from the song. Mm -hmm. And occasionally we'll have to go back and listen to it. And sometimes I will hear, you know, something crazy that we're doing that we weren't, you know, that wasn't part of the original song or, or maybe just over, you know, 20 years of playing the song, we've sped it up or slowed it down considerably or, or added a note. Or just different things. Right. Um, and you've heard it so many thousands of times, but the fans have as well, but they've only heard the one perfect version of it. And then they hear yeah, it live. Yeah, they hear the one like, perfect what? version, and which is great because when they come to the show and they hear us playing, it sort of triggers this memory of the version that they've heard. And any mistakes that we make, as soon as we make them, like let's say I play a weird note, but then the next time I don't play the weird note, if you're watching the show you kind of don't remember that I played the where you like, I don't know, you hear the recording as you're watching the band, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think, I think like that's Like your brain is true. sort of comparing the two things. Yeah. Um, so, whereas for us, like, you know, or at least for me, I haven't heard the songs in so long, so I'm comparing what we're doing on stage to the last time we played it. Right. And so, you know, over years, it will sort of evolve very slowly, just... You know, I'll notice something that Adam does, like a little rhythm, and I'll just make a decision to lock in with it. And then the next time we play it, I'll definitely do that. And then <laughs> and then that becomes the thing, and then he changes what he does because he's listening to what I'm doing. And, you know, it's little things like that, that that slowly over the years, you know, morph the song into something different. And it's not like maybe super noticeable sometimes. Right. But, um, but I think it's... Uh, and it's, I think it's cool too. Like some of the things that we've done are make 
these little moments more interesting or well hey next time know. next time you get in an airplane you should not download some dopey fan podcast you should download a black <laughs> sales and give it a listen hunter because it's a really good album it turns out here's the thing i don't have to download it i already have it oh my gosh <laughs> did you have to buy it through itunes yourself uh, no you know um at some point in the last i don't know six seven years smith found a smith being jade's brother i don't know if like have you guys talked about smith uh, you... i think we have hang on real quick okay. is he the guy that freestyled the rap about world war ii being very important to me <laughs> i don't know if i'm supposed to say that that's him but it's him yeah <laughs> it's so good <laughs> if you can tell that story we would love it that song is very important to us I actually that song don't is so really good. know the details of that story, so I'm sorry. I can't. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> We're huge fans. Um, but uh, no, Smith Smith somehow, uh, somebody gave him, maybe a fan or somebody gave him a, a CD that had every song that we'd ever recorded on it. Just, I don't know why. Just MP3s of everything. Okay. And so I was able to get everything from him on my computer on that tour so I could listen to things for reference. <laughs> okay. Because it was my kind of my easy go-to excuse if we wanted to throw something new into the set, like new meaning old. Right, right. Um, I'd be like, ah, I don't know that song. I haven't heard it. I don't have it with me. <laughs> <laughs> so how much so, of your, your music sticks with you then? Like if the band were to get together now, could you play the majority of like your set list from the last tour or – like how much kind of stays in your in your memory buffer? It's weird. I don't. I don't. It's hard for me to know. Like so, it's been it's been almost a year since we we played a show, and I feel like there's the. I think things. Most of what we were playing on that last run, I think would probably still be with me. Mm-hmm. The songs that we took from like older records that I played, you know, many hundreds of times more would probably stick with me more but there's definitely this moment whenever we rehearse for the first time after a while mm-hmm. where we'll somebody will just call out an old song and we'll all sort of look at each other like okay challenge accepted <laughs> <laughs> and we'll try to play it and sometimes it's dead on and and we all you know as soon as the song ends we're like yeah we're good <laughs> <laughs> um but sometimes it's like just confounding like you'll i'll stop playing in the middle of the song like what is the chorus and it's because you're trying to think about it instead of just playing it without thinking right and davy's up there on the mic and darkness Ow. <laughs> yeah and you never know you never know like what it's going to be um sometimes there's just you know there have been a couple songs and i can't i can't think of anything specifically but like that that do take a couple times running through it or i have to listen to it and i and I'm listening to it like analytically, like what notes am I playing here? What is this? And once I figure it out, you know, a moment later or a day later, suddenly I'm playing it without thinking and and I, oh yeah, okay, no, it's just this. Right, right, right. Like I had that with, um, with, uh, with Love Like Winter at the beginning of the last whole tour cycle. I couldn't remember how to play the chorus. And this is and like I, while you're going on tour or just the rehearsal? No, this is for like it? in rehearsal before the tour. Okay. And it's just, it's stupid because I know that I know it and it's not difficult, but there's just something that wasn't 
and I could fake my way through it every time we were playing, but there's something about the chorus that I was missing. And, and it was just the fact that I wasn't singing in the rehearsal that made it so that my body couldn't go through the right motions. Oh, mm. bizarre. So, so once I started singing it, like once, once um, we were doing it with Dave and doing full vocals, uh, just the muscle memory kicked in and I was like, oh, there it is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Right on. Well, taking a step back or a step forward, wherever we are in the timeline, um, Art of Drowning. I'm wondering if there's any song in particular that stands out to you. The one that stands out to me, I guess, is Catch a Hot One, just because it has that bass solo in the middle of it. Is there any memory associated with that? (laughs) Uh, No. (laughs) I don't don't really remember. I mean, I remember... um, I remember... I mean, I know this... You know, from listening to the podcast, I remember hearing the song and I... (laughs) And the best place to hear that new, song. A new memory of how it goes. Okay. I don't think I could have told you a single thing about that song like three weeks ago. <laughs> Is there one person in the band who's really, really good at remembering all that stuff? Kind of the historian of the group? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, we each, we each sort of have a different uh, sort of set of things that we remember. Um, you know, like... Adam will come up with the like very specific like venues. He'll he'll remember things. And Jade is usually good with 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 stuff musically, but then sometimes like he'll just totally space on it. And I think it you know it's the same for me. Like okay, um, yeah, I don't remember. Oh, that's fine. Too much about that song. Well, what about just Art of Drowning in general? What about that recording process? Uh, okay, that's that's the story. Really, there we go. So. Um, let me think about how much of this I can say without seeming like, well, okay. (laughs) Sorry. Um, okay. So we wanted to record at a different studio and I don't know if it was that first or Nitro wanted us to work with different producers and we'd made a list of like producers that we really liked, Mm -hmm. you know, like so-and-so and you know, what's his name and all those, uh, you know, like producers that were producing stuff that you'd hear on the radio guys that were probably like so far out of our press range. We didn't even know it, but, okay. but, uh, so nitro offered up a guy that they found who was like, you know, they're like, Oh, you like, you like so-and-so you're into his records. Well, we found a guy that knows a guy that worked for him and he wants to <laughs> produce your record. <laughs> And so we were like, that sounds legit. Like, let's check it out. <laughs> um, so I don't know. So we, we'd had, I think before, before that, uh, I think the second on very proud of you before I was in the band, there was, um, I don't know. I think that the guys weren't really happy with, with how that came out or something about working with the producer wasn't as, as ideal. Okay. And, um, which led us back to working with Andy Ernst, um, who, uh, amazing engineer and his production is to sort of, is, is less, um, involved. Like he's producing a lot of things, but he is more of like, he'll tell you his opinion. Um, but you could still sort of disagree with him and then get your way. (laughs) Okay. Um, you know, he's not the type of guy who's going to like sit down with you beforehand and break the songs apart, figure out what works, this and that, you know, um, he more wants to capture what you do. So, um, so, but so we, we, 
we went into uh, a different studio in Berkeley with this guy that we'd never worked with before. And I believe we recorded everything to, to tape, which we had never done before. Huh. Um, I went out and bought a crazy bass with active pickups or like you could switch it active or passive. I guess maybe you can do it on all bases. I'm, I'm normally when it comes to bases, I'm, I'm against active pickups, but, um, but for this, I thought, you know, maybe I should have one just in case, like you never know. <laughs> sure. Uh, so everyone was kind of going all out with ideas for just adding things to this production. And for the most part, it was pretty, it was pretty okay tracking. Like it was, a, we definitely like, like butted heads with the producer a couple times on things, but, but, uh, but for the most part, we, we would get what we wanted on tape and, and, um, things seemed to be moving along. Um, there was a ping pong table and I remember I'm, I can't play ping pong to save my life, but I remember Dave and Jade had like crazy, like tournament oh. style, probably Adam too. Basically everybody but me. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see what else I remember. Uh, oh, I brought in a drum machine that I wanted to, to, to use for, uh, for despair factor. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about that. Um, kind of doing something like that a little what did, different what did adam think of that um he liked it everybody everybody was on board with the idea and it was you know we hadn't done anything like that before so yeah i mean um, clearly everybody fell in love with it a little bit because i mean the electronic sound kind of started seeping in after those days yeah for sure i mean this is definitely like like all the electronic stuff or i'd say the vast majority of electronic stuff you hear on our albums is all like jade's awesome work sure um this is this was my like drum machine <laughs> like kind of <laughs> crappy old drum machine um but i mean it, i think it it sort of fit what we were going for at that time and you know yeah i think to to throw in some really like um i don't know really like high fidelity intense electronic stuff would have been a, a little bit out of place with the music because the music wasn't quite there right um so that drum machine was perfect but um so in that era i mean when you're setting out to record art of drowning are you guys talking about man this is gonna be our radio breakthrough like we want a high-end producer just to possibly get us onto the airwaves a little bit more no i mean that wasn't like the producer wasn't that that was more nitro trying to push us towards that um because they wanted us to do that because we had had um some radio play with total immortal and then also with the offsprings cover of total immortal yeah um and so there was definitely interest for that um and we were aware of that and i think i mean i remember very specifically a moment when i when i came up with the um the music for uh days of the phoenix i wanted something that would technically fit into this sort of weird little area of music that people like radio stations would play. So I imagine it's sort of like a, um, like a Venn diagram, like everything that's the AFI world and everything that we'd done and everything we'd come from musically. And then there's the, like the sort of commercial radio world, but there's this tiny little area where they intersect. And I knew that if we could write something in that, that was really strong, 
that we could sort of like cheat the system and get it on the radio. Are these bandwide discussions or is this your personal project? No, I mean, this is like my idea. I mean, like we all were hoping to push for that. I mean, like, you know, the entire thing of being in a band is like, is wanting more people to hear what you're doing. Right. You know, um, and it's not like, it's not that you want money or fame. It's that you just feel like as an artist, that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Like, that's what, you know, if your art can affect more people, then it's served its purpose. Definitely. Um, so, and I also just took it as a sort of a challenge, like, you know, how can we sort of, you know, because it's, we're coming from a total outsider place. Like how can we sort of as outsiders get on the radio? The radio is all insiders, but Mm -hmm. somehow we could kind of trick the system and, (laughs) and, and pull this off. And I remember thinking like around that time, like, okay, not, not necessarily, um, our style of music, but, but definitely, um, a contemporary of ours would be like Blink-182 who had, had, broken through and they had that success and i remember thinking like okay i know that a lot of their music before that point or a lot of their music just in general was um was very very up-tempo stuff fast stuff and like, i remember thinking like they don't play fast stuff on the radio they can't like there's got to be some sort of like guideline or where you don't hear anything fast on the radio so what's the sort of slowest that you can do that's still that's still um fast enough to feel like it's uh, you know, aligned with your artistic expression. Yeah. But it's, but it's slow enough that it like is radio acceptable. Once again, Venn diagram, like I, sure. <laughs> I thought if I could write something that's in this range, then, you know, once again, I could cheat the system and like, um, I don't know. And I just felt like also we were, um, you know, we had at this point such a intense, strong group of fans that were all, um, you know, supporting us on the underground, essentially, like these aren't, you know, these aren't people who have heard us on the radio and are now into us. These are people who have taken their time to find out about us and go to the shows. And it, is, it was such a strong group and it was stronger than like what was represented by our record sales or anything, you know, in any sort of commercial aspect. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how cool would it be to sort of like get songs on the radio and sort of raise the flag for this group of people that that um you know that are supporting us in a in not through conventional like ways um so then what's step two for you write the stuff that you think hits that venn diagram sweet spot yeah so i mean so i thought okay what's that tempo and i came up with a song that was sort of in that tempo but i mean that's you know that's about as far as you can go like you know, you can write what you think is the best song in the world or the catchiest song or the most radio ready song, but it doesn't, that's, doesn't make it a radio hit. You know, like there's so many other things that have to come into place. Um, but then it did, you know, it did hit the radio. (laughs) Um, and you know, and it wasn't like just what I did. It was like, you know, Dave's lyrics and Jade's guitar work and, and, um, you know, so many little things went into like into that song that it ended up just somehow fitting in that little place in the middle of the Venn diagram. Um, was it Nitro's Muscle at all, or is it just you think oh, the power of the song? Totally Nitro's Muscle, okay. and it was also at the time that it really sort of um, at, that it started spreading was also there were other things happening too because that was around the time we we started getting in, interest from other labels 
and also from different managers. We had been self-managed up to this point. And everybody was trying to put their best foot forward and show us like how much they wanted to be partners with AFI. Mm-hmm. And so people were kind of turning in favors left and right. Like, well, hey, we can get your song on the radio right now. Watch this. You know, like they hit the radio button. Yeah, exactly. And um, and so, you know, everybody wanted to be our friend in that at that period of time. And so I think it was definitely helpful. Yeah. So was it like this scene I have in my mind where Hunter is driving in his car with some of his friends and you guys are giggling and maybe someone's like kind of wrestling in the backseat and then you hear it on the radio. There's your song. And someone reaches for the volume and play real loud, and you just drive real fast, and you're like pounded on the roof of your car. We did it. Time. Is it anything like that? Do you remember the first time you heard your song <laughs> on the radio? Um, we well, we'd heard we like Live 105 in the Bay Area had played AFI songs before. Like okay. that wasn't. Now, um, so this is old hat for you. It was not a big. We thing. were kind of used to it. I mean, you know, more so on like specialty shows and yeah. different things like special times and whatever. But the first time hearing. Days of the Phoenix on the radio, I think it was, I think we were driving around in LA going to meetings or something and somebody turned on the radio and it was on and it was kind of, it, you know, it wasn't quite the, that image, but <laughs> there was a moment where, where we were kind of, I don't know, just all sort of like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's super cool though. So what do you think yeah. about, what do you think about that Venn diagram in retrospect? Do you look back on Art of Drowning? I know you probably haven't listened to it in a while, but do you consider Days of the Phoenix one of the stronger songs on that album because you tried to hit that sweet spot, or does it feel like something else? No, I mean, like I said, you could try to hit the sweet spot all you want, and you're going to maybe hit it, maybe miss. Like, more times you're going to miss than hit it. Anybody mm-hmm. trying to hit, trying to write a hit is has already failed, you know? Sure. Um, but I don't know. I felt like... We weren't trying to write a hit. We were just writing a song that wasn't going to limit itself in terms of what its potential was. I'd imagine that'd be a pretty stressful time for the band then, too. I mean, if that's the big ballooning. Well, I guess Sing the Sorrow really blew up after that. But was that yeah. a trying I mean, period? It, getting that much attention? No, I mean, like, it's no, because it was all just, like really positive attention and it was all coming from different directions and different, um, in different degrees. And it was all. I don't know. It was just sort of pushing us up in 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 such a way that our esteem was really high. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't trying at all. Sure. But I mean, definitely. Okay, definitely. Listening back to the snippets that are on the podcast, um, and it's you know, like these songs. I had, like I said, I haven't heard a lot of them in, in many years. I do think that that opening guitar riff which i didn't write um (laughs) on on days of the phoenix is so fucking killer that that's it it's a hit right there (laughs) (laughs) that's all you need yeah so i mean you know like i said it's it was one of the things where it just you know in the in the realm of all things that that could have happened we sort of focused our creativity in different ways and that song happened to become that and and uh, and it was you know the right time and and then everything else that was happening around that time was all aligned and I don't know so many so many things coming together right. at the right time for for things like that to happen. Do you I mean, consider like, that? Do you consider that kind of like the high point 
creatively for you guys or like the moment where you're really catching on fire and you're really enthusiastic or were later albums even bigger for you guys and had a bigger impact on you personally? Well, I think, no, I don't know. I mean, it's each album sort of has it, it has us in a different place and with the different mood and, you know, context is obviously extremely different. So I think that each time we sort of challenge ourselves and, you know, with different degrees of, of like, um, I don't know, different degrees of feeling successful about that. So like, um, but I, you know, like, you know, with the first record that I did with AFI, I thought like, you know, here's a record that is markedly different from the one before, but then we went out on tour and, and people were responding to the songs and it was, and it was cool. Like our numbers for our shows were going up. The record sales were really dismal, but like, but, um, but that wasn't important to us at the time. Like that wasn't ever a thing that we cared about. And then, and then with each album after that, when we started to sell a little bit more, you kind of get used to that or I don't know, you don't get used to it, but like it, but, um, you start to sort of see how it is evolving. And so definitely at the point where, um, I guess it had been, we did some warp tour dates, um, the, I guess it was almost. When did when did uh, Art of Johnny come out? Came out in like two thousand. Two thousand, but it was like October. Oh man, I'm not sure. I think like September, October. Anyway, so it was like the following summer, in two thousand one, where we did a handful of. No, actually, I guess we did the whole work tour that summer, and we sold the Art of Drowning CDs for just like cost. Huh we had a bunch of them and just thought we'd sell them for cost. And, um, and we sold so many, like people, it went crazy. And of course that like helped our sales numbers made it look crazy. Like who's this band selling a bunch of CDs? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I don't know. There were, there, and that was the first time where I ever thought like, Oh, we're actually selling a lot of records right now. Right. And of course that was nothing compared to what we would sell. But, you know, I feel like every step of the way we were so, fortunate to be able to look at any one given aspect of our career and go wow this is better than it's ever been (laughs) definitely it's a it's a good position to be in man yeah so i'm really fascinated by that period between art of drowning and sing the sorrow um can you give us any insight into what was happening there i mean there's obviously the whole proto arg that was going on with sing the sorrow and the and the teases and whatnot um but can you talk about what it was like to be in the band in that gap um, yeah, I mean, it was, that was, uh, like I said, that was when every, all, you know, all these record labels and, and managers and all these different people were, were, um, approaching us. And so know, it was like nothing that had ever happened to us before. Yeah. We had a lot of interest. Um, so it was kind of exciting. It was cool meeting with different, different record label, you know, we, we got to meet presidents of record labels and stuff and. I don't know, I had like dinners that I will remember forever, you know, just kind of weird. Like, I don't know, it's weird to be like the bell of the ball, essentially. <laughs> how many of them were the smoking, industry. how many of them were smoking giant cigars and saying sign on the dotted line, kid? Uh, I think zero. Okay. All right. <laughs> Interesting. Different than I expected. 
I mean, are there any cliches that were kind of uh, shattered for you during that period? Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I didn't believe any cliches anyway. Like, you know, like you said, you know, this cigar smoking type label president. But I mean, they're definitely, you know, you're, we met with people who are very, you know, were and still are very powerful um, within the music industry. And just the fact that they were taking notice of us was so like flattering and surreal um you know and the and they i guess to a degree they were all sort of trying to one-up each other um so we ended up having dinner at their houses and stuff and wow uh, yeah so it was but you know like we didn't it was definitely like i don't know somebody another band might have taken this and just sort of let it kind of cloud what they were trying to do but we we really took our time really deliberated for a long time over what label we wanted to go to and you know no no amount of it wasn't about like money or whatever it ended up being mostly about what we thought was going to be good for our creative vision and we had essentially written most of the record that we would be sing the sorrow and so we didn't want a label that was going to try to mess with that too much. We certainly didn't want to work with producers that that we didn't respect or that wouldn't like um, understand what we were trying to do. So it was very tricky. We were, we we're trying to be as careful as we could. Yeah. I mean, it's it has to be such a tough thing. I mean, did you guys have band meetings discussing like, all right, this is where a lot of bands really lose it. Let's all keep it together. Let's be sane well, about this. Think no, things I mean, through. we were all on that page to begin yeah. with. Um, but we did have really, really long meetings just to talk about, uh, you know, all the different options. Um, Can you give any? And it in- wasn't. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it wasn't an easy decision because it wasn't like we we tried to place ourselves in a position where, like, no matter what we decided to do or what label we went with, um, we would still be in a great position. So it was just like, which position, which great position do we want to be in? You know? Yeah. Can you give any insight into? like the whole nitro deal ending and how that actually worked. It was such a weird, vague thing publicly of like, Oh, we re-released them. They're free. Fly out the window. Goodbye. AFI. Uh, let me see how I can say this. Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Dexter did come to us and say, you know, you guys have outgrown our resources and, you know, I definitely think you should find, a. Um, major label home um what he didn't mention was that he wanted to sort of use the leverage of the record that we still owed him to try to work something out for himself um which is business so we now understand this of course but at the time we were a little naive about it but um uh but it did put us in a position where you know we did have a choice between uh sort of working with him to to find a, a label and um, or doing what a lot of bands will do just to get out of a contract, which is like release a sort of half hatched record quickly, like a covers record or mm-hmm, right. something that, that like fulfills our contract, but isn't like really interesting. But we didn't really want to do that. Like we didn't want to do that to our fans. Um, and so, you know, we did our best to try to work with everybody, you know, with Dexter who did, was still owed a record and, and tried to find a home that would 
that would um, work with him in sort of in, in sort of buying out the contract, and and it didn't work as as smoothly as we really wanted. Um, and yeah. this was our definitely our first big lesson in in that the business side of that. Right. Um, but we but we had great people working with us, and our our lawyer who has been like our guardian angel through all of this was definitely helping us out. And, um, so it's, um, yeah, it's, huh. it's pretty much what you've heard, but you know, there's details, whatever. Yeah. There's going to be always details. Um, so you say you had Sing the Sorrow written kind of as you're being shopped around. How does 336, the EP fit into that then? Did that come after that? That was, uh, so that I think that this is a little fuzzy, but we recorded that at a different studio. God, maybe we maybe we recorded Art of Ears. I don't remember. Okay. Um, I totally don't. I know we mixed it somewhere else, but it was during that process, and it was it was a couple songs that I think that we were not planning on putting on Sing the Sorrow. And um, was it kind of like a trial run for the sound you're going for with Sing the Sorrow, or what was the logic behind it? No, I mean, it was, it was, they were definitely songs that were just written in that period. So like, you know, writing wise, they weren't anything that wouldn't, couldn't have been connected to either the album before or after, but they were just songs that we didn't felt like were quite as good as the songs we had written for Sing the Sorrow. Okay. And we just wanted to put out something to kind of just keep things going because it was, the whole process was taking a little longer and. Um, we were used to putting out records faster than that. And, yeah. um, and it was, you know, yeah, we were, we had new musical partners and we were just, um, thinking of ways to sort of, uh, do cool things also to just to show people, Hey, we're still cool. We're, we're still your band. Um, not, not necessarily like, Hey, our sound's changing and check this out, <laughs> but, but, um, more of just like, Hey, yeah. Okay. Also incidentally, our sound is evolving but if you haven't noticed it's been evolving since the beginning right right uh, and here's our new partner and look they're cool enough to put out a picture disc <laughs> which you know we you know that's something that we had always like thought about and thought would be cool but nitro would have never done that right so. right i mean but i remember the 336 release being a little bit divisive for fans were you guys could you feel that in the center of the hurricane? Just the fans being like, what is this? What is this major label nonsense? No. I mean, we were so worried, I think, about what our core fans might think. Um, that, I don't know. Like, I think ultimately the, the reaction that we worried would happen didn't happen. And so we were just happy that that everyone was so on board with what we were doing. Sure. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And then by the time Sing the Sorrow comes out, you, the audience is so huge that you must just feel nothing but love. Yeah. I mean, like, there at every album that we've released, there were, are always some fans who are like, oh, okay, well, that's it. They've done it now. Like, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I remember before I was in the band, when when they signed to Nitro, there were, you know, there was a huge backlash at Gilman. Like, these guys have sold out. It's over. Like, <laughs> so 
that's always going to be a thing. And, um, and that's okay. Like, you know, because the idea is if you just keep doing what you love and, um, creating music that you love, that it'll find new people. Yeah. What was it like, uh, at the launch of Miss Murder? And that is the single, did that feel like another crazy step up to the next plateau for you guys? Uh, let's see. Okay. Man, we marched forward now. Okay. Uh, take a jump, just a big old leap. At that point, there had been so much in the, in the post sing the sorrow or like around sing the sorrow. Like every one of our dreams came true in that period of time. And I mean, like, you know, in terms of getting to play cool venues and play with cool bands and, and, uh, you know, we won a moon man and <laughs> now your dreams, you worked. know, it was like all these really awesome things. Um, and then we, you know, had taken a, a step back after that to be at home and, and, uh, and I think Dave had surgery on his voice around that time. I'd imagine that'd and be a pretty it, stressful time for the band. Yeah. I mean, it was, we had to cancel some shows and we'd never had to do that before. And we were all just concerned because, you know, like this is our livelihood. And what if, what if we can't do what we want to do, you know, forever? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was a little weird. How bad then, was, how bad was that getting for him before the surgery? Um, I can't remember. It was pretty bad. Like he, um, he was having trouble. I mean, I got, he would be able to tell you better because he obviously remembers the, the, all the specifics, but I remember him like, just like not being able to, to like hit notes. Um, you know, and of course, like if that's what you do, if you're a singer and, Mm -hmm. and you're, you find yourself not able to do the thing that you do as well as you're used to doing it, it puts a little bit of fear into you, which, which does not help at all that only exacerbates that. And, and that's, you know, like, I can't even imagine like what he went through mentally. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, by the time, by the time, uh, you know, we got back to working on December underground, everything seemed to be back in action. Um, and that, uh, I think December, we went to, uh, <laughs> here's an interesting story all right maybe we'll see um <laughs> so uh uh luke wood our a and r guy mm-hmm. uh thought it would be a good idea for us to heading into december underground to do pre-production uh at a, at like a remote location the okay. idea being we would all be together, not distracted by other things and social stuff and be able to focus on the songs, uh, which is great. I like that, that idea. Sure. But he, but he picked this studio that's, I don't even remember where it is. Um, but it was like kind of on a farm, sort of an hour outside of like hour North of, of the Bay area. And, there's like a place for us to stay this little, you know, like cabin area to stay with a loft. Okay. And we, and we got there and everybody's like, really like, 
oh, really? Are we supposed to stay here? <laughs> <laughs> we want like, rustic, but not this rustic. There's like ants. There's like maybe a line of ants <laughs> through the studio. <laughs> and so on that on that first night, everybody left. And I think maybe Adam like popped his head up into the loft and it was like just filled with spider webs. <laughs> so he's like, no. <laughs> We're not a Halloween so, band anymore. <laughs> so for some reason, I was determined to sleep there. So I like pulled my hood up and like tightened the drawstring and just like <laughs> s- slept on the couch, like kind of guarded. Got your ant blanket ready. Yeah. And and woke up like way too early the next morning and then drove like 15 minutes to my friend has a little studio or had a little studio with a shower there, like showered up. It's like, I'm not doing that again. That's stupid. If everyone else is leaving, I'm going to leave. And Luke even left? Like he wasn't even on board for this idea? Um, No, I think we didn't tell him. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't tell him for a while. Jerry Finn stayed at like a nice hotel um, during that time. Um, And he actually something happened and he ended up in the hospital during that during that period of time. Um, Which was just strange and unexpected. But I mean, he had a number of health issues that that uh you know, ultimately he passed away. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was like, it, di- it didn't serve the purpose that, that like Luke wanted it in terms of us, or rather it didn't, um, in us, in us sort of all sort of like coming together to refuse to stay there and not say anything to Luke, we sort of <laughs> came together in the way that he wanted us to. So Brilliant. It was all his master plan. Yep. Yeah. I can get them all to try to deceive me. <laughs> perfect. And then the hit album was born. Yep. I mean... Yeah, so that... And that... Okay, so that, that particular studio experience was... Took forever. Or it seemed like it took forever. And we had a lot of trouble with some of the songs. Like... Um, we didn't know how to, or just you know, Jerry was having trouble trying to trying to approach some of the songs with, the, with that were more electronic based, mm-hmm. because that was not um, something that he was super used to, um, and we had to move from a couple, you know, from one studio to another at, at different times, and um, it got to the the song "Love Like Winter" was such a like such a mess of a song. Hmm. It was like the demo was so strong and the the studio recording just wasn't there yet. And there's something, something was missing or something, you know, and so we tried having, you know, different people program things and we just threw everything at it and it wasn't coming together. And I didn't but, know what to play on bass because it just, the whole thing seemed like it was going to just fall apart. So when you say the demo, I mean, that's just a stripped down version of the song. The demo Dave and Jay just made and okay. it, I think they used like maybe a um, like a drum loop or something, and it was yeah. I mean, it was like you know, it wasn't like up to full you know audio quality standards for like a finished song, but for right. a demo, it was like amazing, and it was just so catchy. And any time that we would play it for anybody, they would everyone would be like, "Oh, that's the hit!" Right. <laughs> so I feel like there was a lot of pressure put on on that song by our friends and our family. Um, and then it just wasn't coming together. Um, and but like I said, we were throwing sort of everything at it and it did start to take shape 
and I think we ended up like recutting the drums at the last minute in another studio just to give it a different thing. And, uh, I still hadn't put a baseline on it until the morning of the mix <laughs> and, or the night before. No, we, okay. We took it into mix and it wasn't ready yet. And Luke asked me if I would just go home that night and on at, on my home system, like record a baseline to bring in. Okay. <laughs> Which I thought is like, this is crazy because at that time I was actually staying in my friend's guest room. Um, I had moved out of where we were staying to do the record and I hadn't yet found a new place to, like this is this is during the time that i moved to la essentially so i was just staying in my friend's guest room and all i had was like a um a little pro tools m box okay and a laptop and i was like what am i supposed to do i, don't, I have no idea like i i was kind of at the point where i was giving up on the song because i just didn't see how it was going to shape up and so i i recorded three bass lines that night one of them that was just super boring straight <laughs> like just the most simplest play the notes the guitar's playing lock in with the drums no frills nothing okay then i played one that i thought was really like forward like very syncopated lots of little rhythmic pauses it was like my ode to james jamerson okay and then i played a third one that i thought Okay, my 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 logic was I'm gonna write one that's so boring that everybody will think it's too boring. Then I'm gonna write one that is like a joke, which is the third one I did, which was like I did kind of like uh, disco octave type movement through the whole thing. <laughs> I thought that one's a joke, and so people can't be in with the joke one, and the, they're gonna say the boring one's too boring, so they'll have to get into this like. This sort of like James Jamerson style one, uh -huh. which was the one that I liked the most. Sure. So that was my that was my strategy, because at this point now I have like, you know, not just my other bandmates, but also you know Jerry Finn and Luke Wood and um, and Chris Lord Algae, who's mixing the song, all weighing in on like how good my bassline is, or I'm worried basically that like. Yeah. People, people are gonna, you know. So it's not just like while we're working on a song, I have a great bass line, and people are like, "Oh, that's cool," and nobody's really looking too closely, and it just sounds great, and it fits, and whatever. This is like now everybody's going to be like scrutinizing every detail of it. So this is my idea to throw them three different concepts. Shrewd. So, so we met before the mixing session, and and uh, had Jade listen to the bass lines, and he made some notes on. It. he's like he's like so i like what you're doing but here i, I made a, a mix of the three <laughs> interesting and he yeah and he basically cut between the three different one the three different ones kind of crudely and i went in and like fine-tuned it but and then changed the volume on one so that it it matched but then i i um sort of comped that together and and uh handed it over to chris lord algae and he was like oh man this sounds great like what did you use to record this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, nothing. It's just like, just uh, an M box and some plugins. <laughs> did did um, Jade get your joke? Like, did he understand that some of them were just outlandish? Um, probably to some degree, but like, he's still smart enough 
to know that like that even in a joke there could be something creative and like so yeah wow i definitely i mean i i threw it all out there but he, i definitely owe it to him for like picking the the choice moments on that so <laughs> so that nice. that baseline is a total collaboration <laughs> oh that's it'd be fun to hear those three original ones if you still have that recording anywhere i i still have it actually yeah oh man that's great material for your site there's great content i could have people download them and then like do their own mix. <laughs> <laughs> Make something better than the All Black you Winter. have to do is provide everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Piece of cake. Well, it has to be a real thrill, uh, like with a song like Miss Murder, uh, being able to play that live and knowing that you're going to get that crazy reaction the second that you start playing. Uh, I mean, I guess, yeah. Now that, I, now that I've played it a bunch of times and I do know that I get that reaction, um, that is exciting. But at first it wasn't, you know... Who knows? Who knows what people are going to think? Yeah. That's how it always is. You never know. Yeah. What did you um, think about December Underground in general then after you finished it up? Um, I thought, well, because the, because the recording process sort of stretched on a little bit, I, was, I wasn't totally sure about how it would be received as a whole, but I felt that the recording itself was really strong. Like, um, I just... Um, it was hard for me to sort of be objective about it mm-hmm. and see it as an album because I had seen it as a process. Right. Um, but I mean, any, you know, to sit down and listen to any song from it at that time, I would be like, Oh yeah, this sounds great. You know, because it, we'd spent enough time on every single song on that record so that we all felt really good about each recording. Yeah. So well, can we, you know, can we dive into 37 millimeter a little bit? Okay. I, I love that song, and I'm just curious what the discussions were like behind that. Did you guys plan on just having one bold song that really dived into the electronic sound more than anything else? Uh, I don't. I think okay. So that one that there was a demo that that Jay did for that song, and I want to say that that song. I might be wrong, but I want to say that was um, initially written to be a black audio song. Oh, interesting. That's definitely makes sense. And and maybe at some point he sort of decided to change course on it or, or maybe it just stayed that song. But, but at the point that we were looking at all sorts of songs for December underground to sort of decide what, what we wanted to look at for the album that ended up being a strong contender. And it was one of my favorite songs of, yeah. of, of all the different ones we did. Definitely. Um, so, and it was everybody because the demo was pretty much electronic. Everybody wanted to approach it in that way. Um, and I had I had written a baseline that I when we would sort of practice it, which is harder to do with the songs at that point before we'd recorded them, the songs that were more electronic based, it was hard to practice them because we had nothing to play loops on in our practice space or anything. So, huh. so we would just sort of freestyle it and sometimes it wouldn't sound that great. But um, but with that one, I was practicing doing um, just playing electric bass on it and sort of uh, sort of wrote parts or sort of modified parts from the demo in a way that I felt comfortable as a as a bass player. Mm-hmm. And then when we did it in the studio, I ended up programming my parts on synth bass or like synth with synth bass sounds okay. program based on the part that I played on the live bass, which is based on the the demo that jay did okay that makes sense yeah yeah (laughs) interesting Uh, so yeah i'm wondering i mean 
I know you don't go back to listen to the older stuff too often, but do you have an album that stands out to you as the high water mark for you personally? Uh, no, because I don't really listen to. Them, so. <laughs> I know you're not really it's, a fan of AFI, but <laughs> it's. I feel like there's a like there's a point where I sort of just abandon the song, and you know, you listen to it a million times as you're writing it, and you are working on it when you're in the studio i'm listening to maybe depending on how much time we spend or what we have like maybe i'll listen to um drum tracks and just refining it before i go to track it and then i track it and then i'm listening to it as things are being layered on top of it and then i'm listening to like board mixes and then i'm listening to you know different studio mixes and giving feedback yeah. And at this point, I've heard the song so many times that it's just like I'm done with it. I can't, <laughs> I can't hear this anymore. And then so I'll, then I step away. And then if it's a song that we're going to play live, months will go by. And then I'll listen to it again because now I need to figure out like, okay, now how do I play this and sing? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what? Yeah. So or what effects do I need to use? What pedals do I need to, to buy or or, you know, dial in for this sound? And then then at that point, I'm listening to it again and it's it's I'm able to appreciate it a little more like actually in those moments I can actually hear the song for the first time huh like I hear the vocals and I'm actually like I hear Dave singing to me which like I know this sounds weird because that's probably what you hear the first time but I don't ever hear Dave singing until like everything's done like I hear the melodies and I hear the words but I don't hear it as a person singing in a song right right that's fascinating that's so bizarre and it's usually at that point, like I remember on on Crash Love, listening to the record after it was mixed and after it, you know, after I had a break from it and I was able to actually just go back to listen to it. And I remember thinking, man, like, I don't remember exactly what the thought was, but it, it compelled me to like text Dave right away. Like, seriously, like props to what you just did. <laughs> <laughs> Which is crazy because on that album, I I spent like some stupid amount of time. I I decided that I wanted to sing all the harmonies and all the like, like tons of vocals. So I spent so much time singing with Dave. Yeah. Like all over that album, but still not hearing it like you like you do when you hear a song that's completed and you are able to just hear it as a whole song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's you- definitely my favorite time to listen to the stuff. And then after that usually like we're playing it live and so it's sort of my idea of the song is diluted by what we're doing live or it's just morphed into a different idea um or or we'll be at like a signing or something in a record store and and somebody decided that they should play our record while we're doing the signing so i'll hear it like a thousand times (laughs) oh no (laughs) god (laughs) i think they're doing like a big favor there you go (laughs) so do you guys have like it uh like a, an inside baseball kind of term for that vocal thing that that Davey does all the time. It's like his little, it's like a Yelp kind of. That's like what we call it on the podcast. But it's he's up to nineteen. We've been counting them. Uh, it's it's the oh, like it's that. Is there is there a shorthand for that? Mm, uh, I don't know. Like his signature O, I guess. A signature yeah. O. Um, I don't think that we have a, a specific term for it, but yeah. Um, but it it is recognized as such, <laughs> you know, as the signature almighty O. Yeah. So 
you talk about, you know, uh, playing the songs live. Are there certain songs that you really dislike playing live? Basically, you mentioned it at the very start of the interview, but what are some of your least favorite AFI songs these days? Um, I mean, there's no song that I, I mean, something that like makes me not as happy to play a song live is either if we've just played it 5,000 times. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't like the song or don't like playing it live. It's just that it's, um, it's, it's just like complete muscle memory. And so you're not able to appreciate it in the same way that you would if, if it was like played for the first time in seven years, right, you know, right. it's like being asked, which of your children do you like the least? Like no parent can <laughs> answer that honestly, except for Jeff Cork. Which one is it again? Uh, which one do I like the least? Yeah. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> uh, Henry right now. Oh, okay. All right. Good but choice. Great choice. It's, it's, it's neck and neck. I love them both so dearly. <laughs> It's got to be tough. Yeah, it, it's um no, I mean this there um there are definitely songs that are more difficult to play live or like okay, here's an example. Yeah. Here's a newer song, so it's not um it's not I'm still thinking about it while I'm playing. I'm still enjoying it as, you know with with um with the sort of same feeling as when it was written. Like it's not it's not so old that I'm just going through the motions. Um, song the conductor sure but uh live i'm sort of tethered to to my like pedal board because there's so many like sound changes throughout the song so it's super frustrating for me it's also not an up-tempo song so i don't feel like it's appropriate for me to run like crazy across the stage (laughs) yeah and that's all i would have time to do because of all the stomping i have to do on the stomp boxes (laughs) so so I end up just kind of like posing and just rocking out, which is totally fine. And there are like, you know, thousands of bass players that that's all they ever do. Right. But it feels like a little, I don't know, I feel like slightly confined. Yeah, because um, Jade's spinning around and jumping up and down. And you're like, I want a piece of that. I want to <laughs> give the people what they want too, right? I do. Sometimes though, some, you know, some of the times we played it on the last tour, it was at a moment where I was like, okay, this is great because I could totally use a break right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just catch your breath. <laughs> so you yeah. mentioned with Crash Love you had more vocals. Is that something that you were pushing for back then that you've kind of shied away from? Every once in a while do you get the urge to like, I really want to be vocally present on this album? I mean, it was just a sort of a product of the way that we approached that album mm-hmm. and also sort of the sound we were going for. And I think with Burials, it... Um, it was just more, I don't know, everything we did was faster. Like the, the, the process, we, we attempted to do everything faster, like write faster and record faster. And so in doing that, we just made um, just, uh, I don't know, like bolder decisions about things. Yeah. And a lot of what we ended up doing, just because it, it makes sense, is just having Dave do his own harmonies. Um, and... And sometimes they're not, I don't know, like sometimes they weren't meant to be harmonies like like on Crash Love. I feel like the way that we were approaching it was like, here's a harmony between two people. And I feel like on Burials, there are a lot of layers. And so it's just like, here are some layers that are in different tones that, that harmonize with each other, but they're not meant to be like a 
harmony between two guys. <laughs> right, right. So, um, so a number of them, I ended up like, I don't, I don't think I did any harmonies on that. I mean, I did some background vocals, but nothing that was like just me. Yeah. Um, but, but I ended up having to learn a bunch of stuff to do, to do live. Um, and that's also tricky too, because, um, you know, some of it's not necessarily going to be in my range. And so often when we're doing pre-production for a tour and we're trying to work out new songs, we'll have to figure out, well, who can sing what, Yeah. how are we going to make this sound right? Um, so yeah, so it's on one hand, it was like, kind of nice to have songs where i wasn't singing (laughs) (laughs) do you enjoy uh singing like in the non-afi times like when you're at home you just sing obviously there's like hunter's revenge and the whole side project (laughs) (laughs) you should get your voice on more albums man i mean no we got the hunter's revenge but outside of that yeah i mean i have i have different things that i'm doing and and uh but that is definitely something that is is always one of my news resolutions is like you know what i need to release more music yeah. I need to do more of it, you know, because I do record a lot, but often I'll just sort of keep it to myself. Is that the mystery project you're teasing on your site? Uh, there's a couple of mystery product projects, actually, and I figured it would make more sense to just say that there's one instead of say that there's two. <laughs> okay. Are you singing <laughs> um, on some of them? On on both of them, I'm singing not not lead vocals, but um, but like pretty prominent back on vocals. Okay. Or like harmonies on, on both. Sure. So... Um, one of them is much closer to seeing the live day than the other. So, um, is it, hmm, is it, would you classify it as novelty (laughs) or something very interesting? Uh, it's, I don't know. It's, um, let me think of how to, it's without giving away too much. It's, um, it's sort of born out of some of the friendships that I, that I, um, I guess I already had these friendships, but I, uh, helped to strengthen when I was on tour with cold cave. Okay. Interesting. Um, so yeah. All right. I think a lot of people are gonna be looking forward to that finding out more about that. I had a, yeah. I had a good general question and we'll let you go soon. I know this has gone on for a very long time. We appreciate your time, but is there something that you think would surprise outsiders as far as how much AFI the band spends talking about it? Is there, what is the thing that you guys spend the most time discussing that nobody would ever predict takes that much time? I don't know. I don't like, I'm not exactly sure what you mean. Is there something just like throughout the album recording process that takes a lot more time or a lot more deliberation or discussion that people don't really appreciate, I guess? Well, I mean, a lot of the process is, is going through things that you would never, I mean, you know, when people listen to a record, they listen to it and it sounds like here's a performance, Mm -hmm. you know, and even though, you know, there's overdubbing done and, 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 you know, different production or whatever, you still hear it as a single performance. And so, you know, to know that it took one of us like 50 takes to get that performance, you know, you don't know that, you know, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's, um, and even like, I mean, the, the process, you guys haven't done Crush Love yet, right? Like we've recorded it, but we haven't aired it as of this recording, but okay. yeah, it'll be going um, up soon. The process of that record was, took so long and went through so many different phases that 
by the time we were in the final stages of it, we were all so burned out on the whole thing that that we I don't know it was we we, we all reached that point of sort of resignation, um, similar to my my um, All Hollows bass tone, <laughs> okay. where we were just like whatever, let's just I'll just throw whatever at this song and see if it ends up being cool and and of course much of that did end up being cooler than than what we had previously done. Um, but it was crazy. We did, you know, we recorded in so many different studios with so many different producers on that. Um, not intentionally. <laughs> yeah. Why, why was it fractured like that? Um, well, it started off with like a, 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 sort of a weird experience relationship in the studio with a producer that didn't really like mesh. Okay. Um, and before that we had already spent a lot of time demoing in, in another studio, like full band demoing. Mm hmm sort of self-produced and then then the second producer uh was great and that took another you know chunk of time and then when we finished that up luke was really pushing for us to work with with a yet another producer to redo some of the tracks that he thought maybe could have a little extra life and it was because we were all sort of fed up with the process at that point that we agreed and then those songs ended up having a little different life okay. to them. And so I, I feel like in retrospect, it, it, was, it was good and it was smart that we kind of did go through all the stages of it. But it was so hard to not just be burnt out on the whole thing because, you know, from the beginning of the demoing to the end of the mixing, it was like a year. Oh, man. And, you know, you, you, you lose all objectivity in that mm -hmm. amount of time. And it was, so you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I said it must have been so hard. But just personally, I loved Crash Love, which I really didn't expect. I didn't really yeah, give it. it's a super strong album. I did not give it enough attention when it was released. And it wasn't until this podcast that I really dug into it and really fell in love. It's like, I think it was the biggest surprise of doing the entire podcast and recording all these album analyzations. Analyzations? I don't know. Is that a word? We'll go with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I it. think, um, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to say that, like, I have a favorite album because I, I don't. Mm -hmm. But um, but definitely there, I have a special place for that album in my heart that that is reserved for, like, sort of a step in maturity mm -hmm. and, in and like, um, cohesion. And I feel like we... Uh, sort of achieved new levels of, of both of those things. Yeah. On that record. Do you feel like it got the attention it deserved? Uh, no, no. And I, you know, I, so many things sort of worked against us around that period of time. Um, so no, I definitely don't think that. Huh? Was but, it a, was it a tough period for the band, or why do you say that? Um. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely okay. Well. If you were to look at just um, like sales figures or chart position, we entered it like a, I mean, the, the you know, Summer Underground entered the charts at number one. You mm -hmm. can't go any higher than that. There's no number zero. <laughs> so we knew that it was going to be, you know, best case scenario, another number one, but probably more likely somewhere down the charts. And, and I think that that week we were competing with like Paramore, who were still super hot. Mm -hmm. at that point um and i don't remember who else came out that week but but so you know sales weren't what we expected or hoped for 
but sales across the board for all records were down. And, you know, we'd taken too long from the previous album. You know, we didn't do anything in this, you know, three or four year gap. Um, you know, social media was changing things. Everything was changing. All the things that had sort of helped boost us in the past were dissolving. Our our contract was up with the record label, so they weren't really incentivized to like, you know, go out of their way to to market the shit out of us. Right, right. Um, and you know, I don't know. Like MTV pretty much stopped playing videos. And like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. TRL, which had been a thing for us before. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. yeah. TRL was was gone now at this point. Uh, a lot of print media was was gone. Um, just everything had sort of shifted, and we weren't doing our best to stay on top of it. Um, and then we, you know, also to all the fans who who got on board with us during December Underground and expected another one of those this was noticeably different. And so I feel like that didn't, um, I don't know. A lot of them I'm assuming were just sort of like fair weather fans. Right. Um, and so they just weren't interested. Also, maybe they had in the meantime graduated from high school or, you know, like so much time went by that, that, uh, everything in the world changed. And so it wasn't just like an easy grand slam for us. Um, so yeah, I think it was definitely more of a struggle, and I, I feel like a lot of the uh, a lot of the music didn't get the the recognition that it deserved. Yeah, do you worry about that with whatever you guys work on next? Do you, I mean, the world doesn't stop changing, so are you guys a little more wary about trying to keep with the times and the different formats and where it's going to get popular? Well, I mean, it's it's tough because on one hand, you can't like let that dictate how you do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know if you're a musician and you're, you're an artist, the number one thing is like, you know, uh, your art is your expression and you need to express yourself honestly. And so that's, that's always our first thing. Um, but, but it is, it is interesting to see how that sort of, um, I don't know how, how that is received by people because things are changing and because, you know, I don't know the way that people, sort of digest music now is different and even the way that people go to shows is different than than when we started you know i mean like it's i've noticed it's more of like a festival culture hmm. and and then on the last tour we, we did i'd say probably half the shows that we played were festivals um and you know and, and we're well received at these so it's it's great and it's fine um but it's different than you know playing a lot of clubs or like you know, when we first started out just i don't know everything's you know everything changes and so you could do your best to sort of stay up with it but ultimately like you're going to connect or you're not and it's, there's not a whole lot you can do to uh, like to salvage that if it's not happening right um so and i think the best way for us to do that is the way that we've done that in the past which is just like to make music that we love and that, that sort of captures what we are all about at that moment in time and what we're trying to express definitely well hey we will let you go we'll let you continue on your uh your drive there yeah <laughs> and actually get over to your friend's house but uh obviously we're really really looking forward to whatever you guys do next uh and whatever you do and release personally on your website so keep us all in the loop on that front of course 
Cool. And thanks for having me. Yeah. Man, you are welcome anytime. It's genuinely one of the biggest thrills of my life is talking to you. I know it's dorky, but it is so <laughs> true. I never thought that this would ever happen, even though I promised it repeatedly on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me ask you this. Are How long have we been talking? Uh, it's like two hours. You're really late to get to your friend's house. Are you going to edit this at all? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm going to trim a couple spots, maybe, but not really. I think, I think it's a good format. Like, you know, people want to deep dive and this seems like the right podcast to do it on, right? You definitely have my permission to cut out any of the stories that I failed to get to an interesting point or <laughs> anything. All right. I, I'll see what I can do, but I think it's going to be more uncut than you think. Okay. All right. But no, we really appreciate your time, man. And and if you listen to an episode in the future and you absolutely hate what we say and want to clarify something, you're welcome to Skype us up at any point, man. I'm just going to make some notes then. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that would really be the thrill of a lifetime. But honestly, we'd love to talk to you again uh, in the future at some point. Yeah, yeah you guys have to play Minneapolis when yeah. you support your album that you're not recording right now. <laughs> I would love to. I would. I, that's, uh, that's one of my favorite places to play. One of like top 50 all right hey man we'll take it that is is a badge of honor out here cool i think like what we played the varsity last time yeah i think you guys were at the state fair last time you were here and then the varsity before that that's that's right yeah and then it was i remember everyone telling me like hey we've got the second best state fair in the country (laughs) i remember thinking that's such a strange thing to say well we can't beat texas man so that's what i said I kept, I kept like, well, should I ask? Okay, fine. Who's number one? They're like, well, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> Even if we were number one, we wouldn't want to make a big to-do out of it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, so, we're so humble and beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, please come on back. We'd love to, we'd love to go to the next show next time we're in Minneapolis. But All right. Again, thank you so much, yeah, thank man. Thank you so much. We cannot thank you enough, but we'll let you get going. And okay. thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Fire Inside Out. We hope you all enjoyed as much as we did. And we'll see you next week. Bye. It is, yeah, it has been super fun. It's like someone who like really likes music. I don't know how I never listened to AFI before. It was just, I just missed it being my age, which is a really fantastic thing to say. <laughs> Jeff Clark's an older man. I'm an older man. How old are you? Uh, 42. Okay. The thing is, like, that's, yeah, I mean, definitely when I joined the band, there were fans that were, like, what your age would have been at the time, you know, like, and though, you know, those would be sort of our, if any of them were still around, like those would be our, like sort of oldest, like peer fans, if yeah. you will. Um, but I, you know, so few of them, like, I don't even know, like I have no sort of statistics for any of this, but like so few stayed with us every step of the way. I mean, I can't even imagine with like my favorite bands, like staying with a band mm-hmm. the whole way, like mm-hmm. it, you know, life sort of comes and goes and you know what? So, but, um, but yeah, it's interesting because like, yeah, every, and then every album we do pick up fans that are, that are younger and are, you know, we're sort of creating the soundtrack for their high school moments. And yeah, so it's kind of, 
It is interesting. Like and if I re- like you read the YouTube comments, um, which people are very kind to you guys, by the way, when they when they distribute your music for free on, <laughs> on YouTube. But like that's like overwhelmingly like someone will be like, "Oh my god, this was like the soundtrack to my junior year of high school." This brings back so many memories. Like people, uh, even though they're they're um, not giving you money for this, um, but you know they're very generous with their their praise. It just seems like you guys like tap into that era of like a person's life really nicely. And I was like, man, it's been a long time since I've been in high school. So like the angsty stuff is just very difficult for me to kind of tap into that as much sure. as I used to. But like the like the more contemporary stuff you guys do is just so good. And I, I mean, I'd say I, that even if you're not on uh, Skype. So. <laughs> Thank you. No, but that's – I mean I, I totally relate to that. Um, like I grew up listening to a lot of punk stuff, but stuff that I didn't listen to growing up, I can't get into now. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's just – it's like like the example that I always give is, is like Bad Brains. Mm-hmm. Like I never really listened to Bad Brains growing up. And like I listen to it now and it's like I get it and I respect it, but like – but it doesn't – like charge me up like it might one of my <laughs> friends who listened to it growing up yeah like i never got into slayer really and then i remember them being like wow those guys are really hardcore i could never get into slayer and then i listen to it now and it's like oh this is totally fine like, it's just <laughs> yeah. it's not like scary or like as impressive as i would have been like if i really took a deep dive when i was younger it's right. just like all right yeah that's yeah. fine 